welcome to the Coach's Table Podcast, where coaches come to grow personally and professionally through real-world application and online education. For today's show, we have Andrew. What's going on, brother? How's it going, Kendrick? Great, man. How about you? Good. Good. Hey, for those of you guys that don't know Andrew, Andrew is a strength and conditioning coach at Wanda University in South Carolina, going on year two, right? And he... um, Andrew and I met each other uh, as interns at uh, Elon University, and we spent an entire summer there, um, learned a lot, I would say, I think it, for the both of us, probably um, probably laid the foundation of our strength and conditioning kind of knowledge, um, programming, uh, experience, kind of things of that n- nature. So from there, Andrew then had a job opportunity at Londa University, took that, has been there for uh, a year going on year number two now. But prior to that, um, Andrew talks, and if you guys don't know, he almost quit graduate school um, because he was in at Ithaca and was doing internships, part-time work, um, and just kind of the grind of strength and conditioning. And at a point in time, he almost quit graduate school. So talk, talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I always knew that I wanted to be in some sort of teaching role, like since high school um and my woodshop teacher honestly was like one of the biggest influences in my life like this guy i I did seven woodshops throughout high school and um you know he always was like a a guiding hand to me but he never like gave me the answers so he let me be creative and figure things out for myself um and, and kind of taught me what i knew and i always knew from there i wanted to to do that for other people as well so I wanted to be in a teaching role. And I initially wanted to go to college um, at App State down here to be a shop teacher. Like that was my goal. Um, I ended up going to UMass for my undergrad. And during my sophomore year, I made the transition into our kinesiology program. Um, I stepped into a weight room, not knowing a single thing about strength and conditioning my junior year of college. And I worked probably like 30, maybe even up to 40 hours a week interning undergrad um my junior and my senior year and my senior year i had an opportunity to be the first strength coach for the cheerleading team at umass um and you know through all that i was going through a lot of like life transitions i started like just getting really into reading um and i i took my cscs in between my fall and spring semester my senior year so i just had to graduate then from there um I took an opportunity at Ithaca College. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know um, who the head strength coach was, but Coach Brown at Ithaca College gave me a great opportunity. Um, And I was there in the exercise and sports sciences program. I was a graduate assistant, so I worked directly with baseball, softball, and women's swimming and diving in their incredible facility that they have there. It's unbelievable. But yeah, kind of going into that grad school part, like, um, you know, my dad was a military guy. He he joined the military right at 17 years old um, and he retired after 20 years. Um, And when I was in high school, I thought I was going to enter the military. And then after college, I thought about joining the military. And then even after like in grad school, I was like, you know, there's still a chance. I knew a coach who was the assistant swimming and diving coach at Ithaca and he joined the military. And I was like, yeah. 
I always thought for some reason I was going to do that. Um, but what happened in grad school was I kind of always struggled with imposter syndrome, like pretty heavily. And yeah. it really hit hard in grad school. Like I was sitting there. I remember we have this graduate office where all the grad students go and do their, their homework and things. And you just see like all your friends who are in the thesis program, like crying and just like having these breakdowns. And here I am, like, I'm about to start my thesis work. And I was working on a, uh, a homework assignment on a computer. And I remember yeah. just like catching myself. I was just like staring at the computer and I was like seriously questioning like what am I doing here? Like, this is not the place for me. Like I'm not smart enough to be here. Um, and like, I just don't belong here. And that was when I was seriously considered, like, I didn't really, I kind of kept my parents in the loop about me going to grad school. Yeah. It was kind of a decision that I made though. And they supported mm -hmm. me fully. Mm -hmm. Um, and this was another decision where I was like, you know, I'm not even going to tell them, like, I'm just going to drop out of grad school. I'm going to find something I can do and make money. Um, but yeah, that was a really, really tough time. It's probably one of my like lowest moments career wise and like school wise. And I've always been like a decent student. I've been able to like kind of squeak by. Um, I just have to work really hard at it. But yeah, yeah that that yeah. was a tough, tough time for sure. Yeah, man. Um, absolutely. So I actually left grad school after the first year as well. Um, I ended up taking a job. I think, I mean, you know the story, but uh, I was in grad school at, at University of Louisville. And then after the first year, I had a job opportunity um, and I was chasing a title is, is what I was doing. Right. And it's not that I was bad at grad school or anything from that standpoint, but I was chasing a title and I was like, yeah, I want to be an assistant strength coach. <laughs> right. Like that's what I was doing. And so I had an yeah. opportunity and I left graduate school after the first year. Um, I started like the first month. Yeah. In September, I started the first month of my second year and then left uh, to, to go take a, a what was an assistant position, but it was essentially more like a graduate assistant position. Cause like the pay was like 500 bucks a month. Um, it was so bad. And it's like, yeah, we'll give you, um, housing on campus and you know, you get 500 bucks a month. And I was like, cool, but I'm an assistant strength coach, you know? Um, but then I eventually just transferred online and ended up finishing graduate school. But I think everybody at some point in time contemplates like dropping out of grad school because, not necessarily because the the workload is crazy. I mean, it's tough. Like, don't get me wrong. Grad school is definitely tough. Um, spent so many days, weeks, hours, nights of just sitting there with my head in the book, like literally reading. And I was living with my aunt and uncle and like, I'd get home at like four or five or whatever it was. And then I would study to like 10, 1030 at night and literally just reading pages on pages on pages on pages. Um, and I think, I mean, it was great, but I think everybody at some point in time, definitely contemplates dropping out of graduate school and being like, maybe I don't need to be here. <laughs> like I'm doing this with the hope that the job outcome pays well. Whereas people are literally working while you're in graduate school and making the money that you want to be making. Yeah. And like for me, grad graduate school was the opportunity to do that graduate assistant position yeah. job. Like I, didn't have uh, a huge desire to do a thesis and I actually dropped the thesis and just finished up just classes at Ithaca. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, it was just about getting that experience. Honestly, it was like getting, and even my professors knew it's like, I'm trying to check this box to get this master's because 
a lot of schools look for that now if you're trying to be a collegiate strength conditioning coach. Yeah, it's and like almost mandatory. It's on top of that. Yeah. So, yeah, but, you know, the, I think the thing that really helped me through that, that time was a couple things. So during my junior and senior year at UMass, when I was really getting strength conditioning, I was just kind of like diving headfirst into any and everything I could read. Um, and that's when I really started reading. Like I didn't read up until that point. I barely yeah. read in high school. Yeah. I barely read it in my first few years of college. And then that, yeah. I just like found this love for reading. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when I kind of fell into stoicism. And I sure. fell into stoicism through actually Viktor Frankl's book. So it's pretty cliche, I guess you could say, but like Man's Search for Meaning, I think is a book that everybody needs to read at some point because I mean, that book is like one of the most heartbreaking books, but one of the most interesting books. And while he has his own kind of like therapy called logotherapy, yeah. which is all surrounded by like people finding meaning in their lives and then keeps them going and kind of drives them. Um, Stoicism is like very, very close to that idea. Like you are, and Viktor Frankl says this as well, like, you have pretty much control of your attitude and not much else besides that. Like we can try and con control things and this relates to sports so much, but yeah. in reality we can just control our attitude. And I always saw, I always thought that sign, you know, it's like that poster that you always see. And I see uh, it was in the UMass locker room Yeah, and it was like 10 things that require zero talent. And it listed those 10 things. Yeah. And probably like the sixth or seventh item on that list was your attitude. Mm -hmm. And I think that the poster should be more like nine things that are dictated by your attitude. So your attitude is something that you can control. And that's mm -hmm. going to dictate mm -hmm. like how much effort you put in and your enthusiasm and how you just like physically stand and present yourself to the room. Yeah. And so diving into that world, um, really helped bring down some anxiety for me. And mm. I think that what saved me was that I have like a really strong passion for learning and learning new things. And I kind of just get like wrapped up into this world and I can get like hyper fixated on certain topics yeah. um, that I find interesting. So realizing in grad school at that moment that I'm not expected to know everything. My professors don't expect me to understand everything. Uh, the head strength conditioning coach, Victor Brown, he doesn't expect me to have these perfect programs and be this perfect right. coach. Like there's chances for me to learn. And that's what I'm there for. And he's going to help me along the way. He's not going to give me the answers, but they're going to guide me. And then the other thing that I think helped me in that moment was I, I gave myself a little grace. So I, mm. um, I realized what I had accomplished already. Like yeah. I am, the the first person in my family to get their master's degree and then mm. you know my mo my mother went to college my sister's in grad school yep. but you know i worked hard to get to that point and i put in the hours in undergrad and i put all this love and this passion and this hard work um through the years before that that it's like okay don't be so hard on yourself push yourself in the right direction but don't beat yourself up yeah so Okay. So I think you hit on so many things there. Um, and I didn't want to interrupt what you were talking about. You hit on so many things that I think so many people struggle with today. Um, and, and myself included, right? Um, you know, first imposter syndrome. Um, second is 
the expectation to know everything right away, right? I think so yeah. many people um, and, and in a field where this is strength and conditioning, this is just life in general, right? But whether you're new at a position, new at a field, new in a career, uh, you know, whatever the case may be, like you feel like you're drinking from a fire hose, right? And you see the people that you want to be and you see, uh, you know, where you would like your career to be. And then you're like, how do I get there? Like, what do they know that I don't know? Or like, how are these people so freaking intelligent? And I think that's something that, I mean, I definitely struggle with because it's like, I want to be as smart as them, right? Or I want that position. I want that status. I want that, yeah. you know, the pay. I want all that stuff, right? And so, you know, I guess coming back real fast. So you read the book. Um, what, what was it again? It's Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Yeah. So the Man's Search for Meaning. So you read that book in graduate school uh, when you were thinking about quitting, when you were thinking about, hey, like I'm pretty much going to drop this and go do something else. Right. And you felt like that was a pivotal moment in your life career to be like, okay, Hey, even though I don't know everything, I can do this. I can focus on my attitude and get that locked down, which really is the center of everything else. And then number two is you can give yourself some grace. And I think a lot of people really struggle with that. Like myself included, like, you know, the classic, oh, like nobody holds me to a higher standard than myself, yada, yada. Yeah, to a certain extent, that's true. But at the same time, like, are you giving yourself some grace? Are you giving yourself the ability to be like, hey, you know what? Like in a year, I'll be there or in six months, I'll be there. And I think a lot of times we struggle with because we see we see somebody that's at the height of their career. And I was just talking to a coach today and or not today, but a couple of days ago, excuse me, but he's in a position that I want to be in. And I asked him, I said, how long have you been in this field for? And he's like, I'm over a decade. And I'm like, damn. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I'm like, damn. Um, and he's like, yeah, the first five years of my career, I wasn't even working with this particular sport. And I'm like, damn. And here we are, you know, younger, whatever the case may be. But it's like, give yourself a little grace. You know, now to that point, Yes, like have that aggressive pa aggressive patience, but like give yourself grace to be like, if I continue doing what I need to be doing for a year, um, you know, I'll get there in two years and three years in that compounding effort over the course of one, two, three, five, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, you're going to build a career that's extremely um, lucrative and people that are, people are going to be like, how did you get so smart? Right. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. Um, so what are the things that you were doing? And maybe you can talk on stoicism a little bit more about this. Cause I'm interested to see like how you integrate this, like with your athletes as well. Um, because yeah. we do, we work with athletes, right? And so there's a certain level of perfection that we kind of expect, or we expect them to act a certain way or do certain things. Yeah. But how do we, how, how can we integrate giving grace to athletes when the game is on the line, when there's hundreds of million dollars on the line, when, coaches jobs are on the line like what is that what does that look like how do we integrate that yeah so that's interesting because i i don't i'm not i don't have that pressure under me so that's <laughs> very, uh, yeah very yeah. different environment but yeah so like integrating stoicism which starts with me first of all sure um because you can ask all my athletes you know i am Unfortunately, I guess, some, and something that I'm working on, something I had a conversation with this past fall with our high strength conditioning coach, Jordan Jacobs, but something that 
just I need to work on is being a little bit more vocal on the floor and kind of mm. just not being someone else or being fake, but being more of myself. Sure. Um, and so where it starts with me is like my attitude when I step into the weight room. Mm. Ask all my athletes. I will rarely have a bad attitude. I might be a little more monotone or maybe seem a little bit more tired some days, which sure. is a given, but yeah. you're not going to catch me complaining. And that's like mm. my my number one complaint in the weight room or my number one thing, my number one pet peeve in the weight room is when someone's complaining. And I think the reason why is because it's not a, it's not like an actionable thing that's happening, right? If there's a legitimate concern, something that's bothering you and you raise a complaint to the appropriate person so you can address that issue, great. But if you're just complaining for the sake of complaining, you're really hurting yourself. Mm. Um, and more importantly, you're hurting your teammates who are trying to be in this environment. And if they're younger, that's like a bad influence on them. So showing up, with a positive attitude and controlling how I physically stand and move around and yeah. talk with these athletes is so important. And then kind of just building off that, my own personal philosophy and something I still struggle with all the time. I just have to work on it too. Yeah. Um, is my first goal is to build kind of this idea of safety. So that's like physical safety, but also establishing like trust, communication, a place yeah. where my athletes can kind of give their ideas. Like, do they like this exercise? Do they not like what we're doing? And then building on top of that pyramid, that base of safety where they can feel like they're being heard is you build in the idea that we can control our attitude. So attitude is not, attitude can be positive or negative, but you still right. have the opportunity right. yeah. to adjust your attitude. And then once you go from there, once you have that, uh, vulnerability, that trust with your teammates mm. and the coaches, mm. and then you're learning, uh, you're working on your attitude. So how do you respond to situations? How yeah. do you deal with conflict yeah. on your team? Mm. That's when you start really focusing on the peak of the pyramid, which is actual success in your yeah. sport, in the weight room. So you're focusing on your relationships with other people. And now you're focusing on the actual game plan. We're now trying to, if we're looking at the barbell strategy, are now yeah. pursuing the upsides on that part. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, just hitting on that point again. So last night I had a conversation uh, with a friend of mine. Um, he's also a coach. He's a high school coach, but he's a, a super close friend of mine. We played uh, high school sports together, college sports together um, in his wedding, like the whole nine, right? So we were talking uh, last night just in general about, and you kind of hit on this too, but how everything starts with you, right? And I mean this as uh, a sport coach, as a strength and conditioning coach, as a business leader, as a husband, as a father, everything starts with you. And kind of what you're talking about there a little bit too is like, hey, when you're training your athletes in your weight room, I set the standard, I set the example. And I don't mean the standard isn't like, we're gonna do this, this way. No, I mean the standard isn't like, how yeah. are we going to have the, like what type of energy is gonna be in here? How are we gonna talk to each other? You know, like, is it gonna suck? Yeah, like, are we gonna get after it? Of course, but, and there's a huge but, we're going to have a lot of fun doing it too. Right. Um, but we were talking about how everything starts with you, like personally. And if you are not a good individual personally, the people around you are not going to be good. The coaches around you aren't going to be good. The athletes around you aren't going to be good. And one of the key points that he touched on was like his goal. Now he's a, he's a high school coach, but his goal now isn't necessarily like, yes, they want to win ball games, 
But he's like, you know what? If I focus on them being better men, we're going to win a lot more ball games than if I focus on them being better football players. And he kind of explained about that. And he was just like, football is going to be a part of their life or whatever sport is going to be a part of their life, but it's not going to be their life. Now, yeah. like some of them may go to the NFL. Sure. But average career in the NFL is three years. Awesome. And he's just saying like, it will always be a part of their life, but it will not be their life. And he's like, the worst thing that I could have them do is 10, 15, 20 years down the road is talk about them playing high school sports. Oh, back when, yeah. my, when I was playing football, it's like, that's great, but you haven't done anything else with your yeah. life. Right. And he was just talking yeah. about how like he was a great college athlete. Um, and he, you know, had accolades and stuff. And now he's just like, I don't ever talk about it. He's like, yeah, I was that. He's like, but now I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a teacher. I'm a coach. And he's like, and more importantly, like I'm a mentor, you know, and we were kind of talking about how people struggle to fi find their identity with, um, after uh, sports careers, after coaching careers too, uh, which was really interesting. So kind of the barbell strategy. Uh, for those of you that don't know the barbell strategy, um, from the book Agile Periodization, um, absolutely fantastic. So talk to me about that a little bit. Andrew loves the barbell strategy. He loves Agile Periodization, um, whether that's the book, whether that is actual strength training, but more importantly, just life in general. So if we can focus on the upside, talk to me about the barbell strategy, what it is, but then if we can focus on the upside, what does that look like? How can that... Um, impact our athletes and the people around us? Yeah. So uh, in this context, I believe the barbell strategy was taken from another book and adapted to kind of like the strength and conditioning world. Yeah. Um, so I'll give you a really good example. Mm -hmm. So working at division two, I have a lot of athletes who have either never stepped foot into a weight room before, or they have very unstructured, little experience in the weight room. So with my women's soccer, we had a, a very, very large freshman class. A lot of them have never stepped in a weight room. And when they show up in August, they're basically already in preseason. And we're kind of in our in-season strength conditioning model. So we don't get a lot of time with them. Where yeah. we really shine is in our spring semester, where I can really kind of push them in the weight room a little bit more. We get that extra session. So when it comes to the barbell strategy for them, right now I'm trying to protect from the downsides. So I'm on the, if you're looking at the barbell, it's yep. on the left side of the barbell. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to strength and conditioning, I'm working my foundational movements. I'm basically going to front squat them to death. I'm going to RDL them to death. We're going to do <laughs> a lot of push-ups and a yeah. lot of pull-ups. They yeah. absolutely hate push-ups. They hate inverted rows. They yep. hate pull-ups. We have pull-ups this afternoon. Hell yeah. Um, but we're trying to work on those fundamental movements. And I think more importantly, translating this barbell strategy into more of their their life aspect, I mm. know that they're not all going to be into the weight room. That's not a, a thing for athletes. Like That's my identity because I've been doing it for so long, but that's yeah. not their yeah. identity. Yep. So my goal, and I think this is, this is my goal for most of my freshmen and, and some others, but I want to take my women's soccer group. I want them to teach them these basic movement patterns mm -hmm. so damn well that they, their confidence just goes through the roof with those exercises. Yeah. Like 
they can feel like they can step into any gym and go up to a squat rack, load up the barbell and hit some heavy front squats. They can hit heavy RDLs that they can do all these movements and not be intimidated, not be afraid. They know exactly what they're doing. And I saw this last week, like our first week back in the weight room, we jumped right into front squats. And I, I told them after the session, I was like, it looks like you've been doing this consistently for like all fall semester, even though we've been in and out because of games and things like that. Like I'm just very, very happy and impressed. And so now that we've established that base of movement quality and we're establishing that base of confidence, we can start pursuing the upsides. We can start to push it a little bit more on exercises. We start introducing more variability in our exercises and really start just pushing like the performance aspect. We're still working on our fundamentals at all times, but yeah, so that's how it kind of fits into strength conditioning and kind of like that personal aspect. And yeah, yeah, so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's extremely important. I think, you know, a lot of coaches uh, definitely try and do that as well. But I, I think one of the things that we do because we are bored as coaches is we change exercises a lot um, and maybe yep. too often, right? Um, <laughs> let's be honest, we all do that shit. Um, we're like, yeah, we've done this for three weeks, so let's change it, right? Um, yeah. Where, you know, we may not have to do that. And let's be honest, yeah. the foundation of life and the foundation of everything is just doing the basics really, really well. And so if you're doing push-up, pull-up squats, like those are the basics of, you know, any sort of uh, physical fitness, right? Um, I think that's going to be extremely important and continuing to do those. And then you can progress, right? Just like, I mean, you look at any star, any, you know, Kobe, LeBron, you name it, right? Um, they are masters of the basics consistently over time, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, the masters of the basics. And what you're saying is we can protect from the downside by mastering the basics. Um, and, and because if not, like we're letting so much slip through the cracks, right? And so, I mean, it's so funny. It's so interesting when we're like, oh, let's change exercises. And then I get away from a front squat. I get away from these core foundational things that I know are super beneficial because for whatever reason, my own ego, uh, I want it to look good on, on social media, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. And it's like, man, just hit the big rocks, bro. (laughs) Like hit the big rocks, hit the big rocks all the time. You know, have you seen that video of, um, it's kind of an older video, I think, but it's a video of a guy putting, um, it's sand and rocks, right? I don't know if you've seen this sand, big rocks and little rocks in a tube. Okay. So he takes a tube and he goes, okay, if you focus on all the small things and he puts like all the small rocks in there and then puts the sand in there and then tries to put the big rocks in there, the big rocks don't fit. Right. So he's yep. like, if you're focused on all these small things, all these minuscule shit, these things that don't matter and you focus on hundreds of them you won't have room in your life for the stuff that actually matters. And then he shows the other way and he puts the big rocks in first. And he's like, if you focus on the big rocks and he puts the big rocks in and then he's like, then when those are set, you can start to focus on the other things. And then he puts the small rocks in and then he puts the sand in and it fits perfectly. And I think if you guys haven't seen that video, you guys should totally check that video out. I don't know what it's called, Um, but it's such a, outstanding visual to be like, what the hell am I focusing on? Like whether this is in the weight room with athletes, whether this is sport business, doesn't matter life. Like what are the big things you're focusing on? And maybe you should focus on those because that will probably get you a lot farther than focusing on the shit that doesn't really matter. 
Yep. And so my hot take for the day building yeah. on that is, yeah. uh, I think strength and conditioning is like drastically overrated. Um, mm. And I, mm. I don't want to take away from our profession or all the sure. work that's been put into it. Sure. But I think we try and almost like lie to ourselves about how much things may translate to the actual game. Mm. So I'm rereading uh, Fergus Connolly's book, Game Changer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I read it back when I was an intern at Elon. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of going through it again. And, you know, when we're looking at sport, we're looking at those four coactives. We're looking yep. at the technical side of things. Like, can I perform the tasks in a sporting movement? Uh, the tactical side of things. Do I know what our game plan is? Do I know what scheme we're running? Do I know how to read the defense? Yep. Um, we're looking Do I know at where the to be? psychological aspect. Yeah. Like, do I know where to be too? Like, and how can I yeah. put this technique to use in the specific game context? Yeah. And then like you have the, the last coactive is your physical coactive. And mm -hmm. that is where um, strength condition kind of like lives and thrives. So that's yeah. a very, very small piece. And so now I'm thinking um, about like, what am I really trying to do in the weight room? I'm, mm. I'm trying to use a barbell strategy to make these athletes more robust. Yeah. Um, but I'm really want to chase like some sort of output in, in some sense. And, um, you know, is doing heavy front squats and then some accessory like leg pump stuff. Is that necessarily going to be beneficial or am I wasting time in the weight room? Um, do I need to make things more simple and focus on our fundamentals more and just yeah. hit those really hard? I really yeah. like Will Rattel's Instagram because it yeah. kind of looks like he just takes like four or five exercises a day, hits them really hard and really well. And that's his workout. Yep. Um, and I know Will, and so, just like, I know Will pretty well. Um, he's actually going to be on the show here in, in I think next week. Um, I know Will really well. Him and I have trained together several times. He's a really good dude and he's really intelligent, right? Like he literally does two or three, maybe four exercises and like, that's it, you know? And the dude's jacked. If you don't know who he is, he's absolutely yeah. jacked. Uh, he played in the NFL as well. Um, but he's absolutely jacked. And that's what he does. He takes two, three, four main, two, two to three, like main exercises. And then we'll like catch a pump. And I think he like structures it where it's like a power, a strength, a metabolic thing and get out. Like literally like, yeah. you know, he, he sprints, he jumps, um, he lifts crazy heavy weight, um, and does it in like insane styles. And then um, does something metabolically challenging and leaf. Like, there you go. That's your workout, you know? And to that point of like strength and conditioning, weightlifting, you know, being like the level of transfer, I think we're crazy generalists, right? I think we like at times, yeah, I think it's cool to be like, oh, this is my super close to sport competitive exercise, you know, but at the same time, like you're never going to mimic sports. So, that's interesting, but um, like be a generalist, be really, be a generalist. Yeah. Hey, if I can just get you in better shape, get you stronger, get you more robust, more resilient. How do you do that? Well, be really general in exercises, right? Like seriously, like the basics work because they passed the, the time test, right? Like there's a reason why squats are really good because they've passed the time test. There's a reason why pull-ups are really good, right? There's a reason why all these yeah. other things are, and like, we like to argue about minuscule shit, um, but it's just like, be a generalist, be a really good generalist. Like 
be yeah. really, really good at that. And I think and you're going to get insane results. I think that's sort of why some of the, like, so I work with baseball. I've worked with baseball for a few years now. Yeah. Um, why the baseball world kind of can drive me nuts at some point. Sure. Because you'll have people who argue that, you know, pitching and hitting are some of like the most technical movements that you can do. They require like absolutely fine tuned mechanics, right? Yeah. So you have dedicated pitching coaches who are looking at your grip strength, your spin rate, all of these different metrics, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing with hitting too. So if I'm going to take a six pound medicine ball, that's 10 to 14 inches across and do, you know, scoop tosses or shot put one. Am I providing an adequate stimulus necessarily? Mm, Mm -hmm. Possibly. Um, But how much is that going to translate to um, one, their, their hitting or their pitching? Because the mechanics are so fine-tuned and it has to be so precise in those movements, is my general medicine ball throw going to train power enough to get some results? And then secondly, if I'm tracking like a med ball throw with a radar yep. gun, right? Yep. Is that KPI that I have deemed important translating to any performance metric? Um, and so... I, I don't know the name of the individual who did this, but they ran, uh, they did their master's thesis and looked at a bunch of medicine ball throws and jumps and different metrics to look at uh, yeah. baseball players. Mm-hmm. And they basically found that this medial to lateral jump, this kind of like lateral bound sort of uh, jump metric was the only thing that correlated with throwing velocity. Sure. So they didn't find anything with broad jumps or vertical jumps or medicine ball throws. So when I think about KPIs, Right. I think, yes, we can track some outputs. Great. But how much is that going to translate, especially to team sports where you have these three other coactives that play so heavily into them? Yeah. Um, so honestly, I, I told one of our interns this the other day, like some of the KPIs I do with baseball are just to be competitive and just to be fun. Sure. Like, I will do some barbell squat jumps or some sort of squat jump. And then we'll go over on the jump mat and hit approach jumps or we'll hit vertical jumps just for fun. Like those metrics don't really matter, but it also helps create that competitiveness and that Mm -hmm. buy-in with the training itself. So I think that being a generalist, in my opinion, and in this phase of my career is more important to me than getting too specific. That could change. I could be totally wrong. But right now, I think that's where we need to focus. So thinking of that and the world of data, sports science, you know, is evolving, increasing tremendously. Right. And, you know, maybe, I don't know how much tech you guys have there. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but what does that role look like? Like, how do we, okay. So we have all this stuff. Now we track all this information. It's really funny because, um, you know, we track this information and then we set these markers, um, and say, okay, Hey, like so-and-so is maybe not feeling good today. Okay. Well, that's great. But like, if they have the game, if they have a game today, are they playing? Like, yeah. Okay. Or if during the middle of the game and we're tracking stuff live, like, which, which I do, am I going to go tell a coach like, Oh, sorry, their heart rate's like too high. They need a break. Like, no. <laughs> right. Like, so it's really yeah. interesting that we have all this data. So what does that look like for you? Um, so we're tracking data, some of our KPIs for competitive natures, um, to see if like one, just to see if the program's working, if they're increasing. Um, but then just for fun too, how do you kind of integrate that? What does your sports science take, whether it's good or bad, 
But like, if we have all this data, like, what do we yeah. do with it? You know? Yeah. Um, there's a lot smarter people uh, in the realm of this than I am. We sure. have very basic stuff. We have people yeah. argue they're inaccurate, just jump mats. I don't really care if they're inaccurate or not. I know that they're probably about like four inches higher than what yeah. I can actually jump. Sure. Um, <laughs> Which is why I use them to boost my ego. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do a little yeah. knee tuck at the end. Just yeah, get that 100%. 100%. But, um, so we use the jump mats and um, then we have – that's basically most of our technology. I mean we use some True. of the team builder functions like one yeah. rep max predictions – uh, which I think undershoots their true one rep max for the most part. Um, sure. But I track everything in Team Builder, and I have a couple of my men's soccer guys who have their own GPS units. So I'll take yep. those that data after the game and just kind of look at it and, and compare it. We have yep. a, a striker and we have a defender who both have units. So mm-hmm. um, comparing those two, um, but I think in, in my role. It's just like it, it drives the intent more than anything. Yep. It's like hundred percent. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm tracking. Are you? Is your vertical jump improving? Is your approach jump improving? But mm-hmm. when you just get like a room full of guys like yelling at one dude who's going up for approach jump, yeah, they get yeah. Like really excited about that. Or if I can just take it, we'll do barbell squat jumps today. I'll toss the jump mat under it, and we'll just see who can jump the highest with ninety five on their back. Like yeah. it doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. It's yep. just driving that, that yep. little edge. And I like, I've worked with GPS a little bit with Elon um, yep. and something I'm interested in and using it as a tool to maybe help uh, a plan practices a little bit better, or maybe just yeah. general conditioning sessions. But mm-hmm. um, you know, for me, again, it's, it's about just kind of creating this buy-in with the athletes, first of all, yeah. um, and then secondly, it comes to, to the nature. And the, the reason why I want to say that too is because I think strength and conditioning is good, but a, a, a sport coach can, no matter how good of a programmer you write, no matter how good of a coach you are, uh, a sport coach can totally destroy that. They yeah. can either make or break your program, um, right. depending on like their practice plan, um, depending how they coach. So uh, there's just so much more involved in, in – team sports than, oh. than strength and conditioning. Tremendously. So, you know, to that, um, you know, I, I, sh- I struggle here um, because I think everybody should have GPS units. Um, yeah. I, I really do. Right. And, and it's great that you have a couple of guys for soccer, at least wearing, you know, two units, um, which is great because if that's all you have, then you're making the most of what you have. And I think people need to understand that and recognize that. Um, you know, unfortunately you guys probably don't have a tremendous budget, which I'm sure if you could order that stuff, you absolutely would. And you would use it, um, where other places, people are very fortunate to have the highest level of GPS units, um, dedicated sports scientists that actually like cut all that stuff. Um, one thing that I've seen, uh, working with basketball guys and we've been using polar heart rate, polar pro, they are so heavily invested. The athletes are um, in the data. And I absolutely love it. And to your point in the weight room, like we use tech, um, to drive intent. We use tech and we challenge them and we have competitions and everything as well. Um, and a lot of it, like you said, is just for fun too, but we also use tech to, 
to drive intent. But um, in regards to the sport itself, we've been using like Polar Heart Rate Pro. Um, and now there's other stuff that we could use that we just don't have, but um, that's what we've been using. And it's so cool because after practice, they'll walk up and be like, how many calories did I burn? And how far did I go? And it's really yeah. interesting to like get done with practice and sitting there hanging out and like letting the data, you know, a hundred percent download. And they're like, Hey coach, how far did I go? You know? And now like, I could tell them a general number, but like, Oh, you went 3.5 miles today. They're going to be like, Holy yeah. cow. And it's like, well, what are those 3.5 miles? Like, how did you get to 3.5 miles? Were you walking? Yeah. Were you sprinting? Were you jog walk? You know what I'm saying? Like the makeup of those miles, um, is, is really important. And what was your heart rate inside of those, right? Like you can just dive so deep into the data, um, to a point where it gets to be mind numbing <laughs> and you're yeah. just like, Oh my goodness. But what's interesting to see is we use the calorie thing a lot for the guys because they just don't eat enough. Basketball players in general just don't eat enough. And I would probably say the same thing for soccer players. Um, they just don't eat enough. So it'd be like, how many calories did I burn? It's like, you burned 1500 calories today in practice. That doesn't include the weightlifting that we just did. That doesn't include you walking up and down the hill. That doesn't include your basal metabolic rate. That doesn't include your neat. That doesn't, you know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. all of a sudden yeah. I'm like, you need to eat 6,500 calories. And they're like, what? I'm like, no, like for real. Like, I'm not even kidding you. You know, like you need to have yeah. 5,000 calories. They're like, how do I do that? It's just like, so I think the great thing that tech does is it like opens the conversation for other things as well. And that's really important. And like, we can then like continue to have more conversations about other topics, topics and subjects that allow the athletes, the coaches to then be like, what do we need to do more of? And it's like, is it eat? Is it sleep? Is it, and very fortunate to have coaches like, Hey, this guy's, you know, he needs to back off and then pull him out and stuff. And I think that's, that comes with time, but, um, yeah, I think it's just crazy to see how much we can actually understand people, sports, the athletes and stuff, uh, through the use of that. Yeah. And I, I think that like, I, I think with data and KPIs and sports science, that whole entire kind of realm, yeah. right? but it's a double edged sword in my head because when we're talking about identity, right? Yeah. If my athlete doesn't have a good day jumping, they can like beat themselves up for that. Yeah. Um, so that's when I think the biggest negative too with like one rep max testing days. If you're testing four times a year, yep, yep. At the beginning of August, before you leave for winter break, when you get back from winter break, before you leave for summer, if yep. those are your four days and you have three yep. bad days out of those four days, like you can really beat yourself up for that. So understanding- and you're not buying into the program either. Like you're not going to yeah, buy into the program. I, I tell, I tell my athletes, like, listen, I love the weight room. This is my world. I love to see your numbers go up. I love to load up that barbell with as yep. much weight as we can. But in the end, if you are not a great softball player, if you're not a great baseball player, it does not matter what your approach jump is, whether you cheat <laughs> it or you didn't cheat on it. It doesn't yep. matter if yep. you can do, you know, a, a 400 pound or 405 front squat. It doesn't matter. So doesn't matter. like looking at the grand scheme of things, and yeah. I told, I, I talked with my softball athletes about this the other day. So I didn't play a, a sport in college. I was a NARP. Um, <laughs> in high school, I ran track. 
Yeah. So one of my biggest, so I operate, my motivation is just like spike. I yeah. just want to, yes. like, I operate out of spike. I love um, it. Love it. So when I'm lining up on, for a race, I did 400 hurdles and, uh, luckily I was a decent runner in my, you know, uh, whatever conference. Um, I was yeah. always kind of in the middle lane. So I had runners to the right and left of me. Mm-hmm. And I knew that they didn't care if I slept really well. They didn't care if I had the worst night's sleep in my life. They didn't care if I was dealing with other things like either they're going to crush me or I'm about to crush them. Um, so it doesn't matter what they think of me. Um, and so telling my softball athletes the same thing, like don't get over consumed in the weight room, but when we're in the weight room, like I want to see just really good effort. Think about if the team who won our conference last year walked by our weight room and they saw us working out, what would their opinion be on mm. us? Even if we're not lifting heavy weight, are we moving it with intent? Do yeah. we look like we have positive attitudes and are we just putting our best effort forward while we're in here? I told them, I was like, we only have two hours a week in the weight room. And, you know, I can give you things to do on the side if you want to do stretching, if you want to do mobility circuits, but we have a very limited time in the weight room. So we're going to maximize that time with what I think is the most important for them, um, which is our basic movements done really, really well and with really, really high intent. Um, so that's just kind of how, you know, I think that data can be good, but yeah. don't let your athletes get wrapped up in the identity of the weight room. They're there to play their sport. They're there to be great student athletes. They're there to find something that they want to do when their career eventually ends. And I think that's like one of the most critical and most missed parts um, Mm. in our field to addressing that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's a really good point. It's, you know, lifting is a lot of times it's something that they don't want to do, but they have to do it because they play a sport and understanding what can we do? How can we make that hour of the day, two hours of the week, three hours of the week, be something that they really enjoy and that they want to do. And I agree with that. So speaking of data, uh, I'm interested to hear your, with AI advancements, okay, I'm really interested mm-hmm. to hear this. How does AI integrate with strength and conditioning, whether that's data analytics, programming, what does that look like? Because I have no idea. That stuff is way yeah. above my head. So I think, I think this stemmed, this is, I, I have very little knowledge on this, but this stemmed yeah. from my idea. It's like, I was sitting there, I was thinking, okay, I'm seeing all this AI art stuff coming out and, and yeah. it's like freaking people out because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's essentially taking away jobs uh, from individuals who are very, very talented at what they do yeah, and replacing them with AI programs for a fraction of the cost. Um, and so me thinking is like, oh, is my job as a strength coach replaceable by AI? Or is this something that I can, can I jump into kind of like this small market and get involved and kind of make myself stand out from the rest of the strength and conditioning and the Instagram community and all this other things? Like, is this a world that I can get involved in? Because I have a huge love for computers and computer mm-hmm. science and things mm-hmm. like that. So in my head, I have a friend who works down in Florida and he was a strength coach for quite a few years. I mean, he still is a strength coach, but now he mostly works for a company who I believe their, their whole goal is to essentially deliver like a at home workout 
uh, with a camera and you perform your exercises in front of this. And yep. it's almost like Renaissance periodization where it, it generates workouts for you. Sure. So is AI going to become to come to a point where it can almost write workouts for us in a sense? I don't know. I think there still needs to be that, that personal uh, coaching experience. I think that's the, yeah. the biggest and irreplaceable part of our yep. job. Yeah, but from the actual that. programming standpoint, are computers going to be be able to take all this information we feed it and just write better programs than we could write? More individualized programs. Can we sure. utilize this tool to start individualizing programs for our athletes? I have no idea where the, the tech is. I have no yeah. idea. But I don't think the coaching aspect will ever be replaced. I think that's really interesting. Um, I agree with you. I, I, I think what we're doing now, the communication component, seeing athletes every day, dabbing them up, giving them a hug, giving them a handshake, giving them a high five, asking them how their day was, you know, and having the human element to that and being like, look like I love you. Like I love talking to you. I love interacting with you. Um, I don't, I don't think AI will ever replace that. Like, I think those yeah. intangible skills, the soft skills will never replace that. Now, yeah. in regards of like writing individualized programs, I mean, I'm sure it could, right? Like, I'm sure it could. But like, the question that I would have is like, how does the AI know if, let's say you have an injury? Like, how would the AI know? And sure, I could probably tell it, I guess. But like... How do how does it know to program for you if you have an injury? What type of injury you have? What are your limitations? What are things that um, you can and cannot do? Where's your mindset at? Right? Because I think that's one thing as a strength and conditioning coach or just somebody that sports performance coach, whatever, that just integrating and talking to people every day. Like if you come in with an injury or you are injured, I concern more about like your mental health and how you're doing and that you're feeling a part of the team yeah. more so than the injury itself, right? Like, Hey man, how's it going? Like you doing okay? Like, how is everything? Because what happens a lot of times, I think if we, if an athlete has an injury, it's like, they just become isolated. They kind of like, it's not that they get removed from the team, but you know, they spend more time in the training room. They spend, you know, they're not doing everything that the team's doing, obviously depending upon the severity of the injury. But a lot of times they just kind of just go be on their own for a little bit before they're back with the team. You know, it depends on the injury, obviously. But it's like, for me, it's like somebody that's like, let's keep them involved. Let's let's not lose them, you know? It's like, let's keep them involved. Let's do that. So I don't know if the AI would be able to do that. I'm sure it would. It's way smarter than what I'll ever be in my entire life. But I just think it's really interesting to, I would like, I would want it to, I think a way it could be useful would be to reduce the amount of time we spend on a computer, either looking busy. Yeah. Or trying to troubleshoot, trying to troubleshoot something. I think that's a huge advantage that it could have. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you said, like, this is where like the art of our profession comes in and like the yeah. creativity, like mm -hmm. you're not going to replace that. Like our yeah. ability to change with circumstances and just be like that actual human connection. Um, so I think where it stands in our field is, maybe making our lives easier in some sense mm -hmm. um, with some of the more boring, tedious stuff. Maybe people will like programming uh, more than I do. Um, <laughs> I hate sitting down at a computer and writing programs. I like the actual yeah. coaching part yeah. any day, yeah. all day. Yeah. Um, yeah. But staring at a computer sometimes just 
that's when like that imposter syndrome just comes there. It's like, okay, Man. yeah, yeah, let's put this. Yeah. So, yeah, cool. So, okay. So last thing here, and I think in a world full of problems, let's look at solutions. Um, yeah. So, you know, kind of curious, what, what's one thing, you know, that you're doing with the people around you to make them better or to, you know, whether we're solving a problem, we don't need a specific problem here, but like, what's one thing that you guys are doing to make each other better? Um, I know a university, and I'll give you an example that does a great job of this. And I think this is a really cool, unique thing is, is what they do is like one, once a week, they, um, all get together and you have to give like a quick three to five minute synopsis of like a podcast you listen to a, um, article that you read, a book that you read or a chapter of the book that you are reading. And like, what is the, so what behind that? And it's obviously geared towards making you a better coach, you know, research oriented, whatever the case may be. But in general, for your guys' staff, for you individually, like what is one way that you are helping the people around you become better people, uh, personally and then, or, uh, or, and, or, uh, professionally, like, what does that look like for you guys? Yeah. So something and all credit to our high strength and conditioning coach, Jordan Jacobs. Yeah. Um, we just added a new full-time staff member in the fall and then we have a new graduate assistant this year. So we have a staff of four of us. And something that we started doing in the fall was our weekly staff meeting. And in that staff meeting, uh, one, we're talking about kind of how our teams are going. What can we work on with our teams? How can we solve issues that we may be dealing with, with either the athletes or the sport coaches? How can we address those? But we start the meeting with kind of like a recognition, like mm. what's something good that someone has done? Mm -hmm. And then we kind of close it off by, okay, where can we each be better? And so a lot of our staff meeting is less of the technical stuff. And it sure. dives, we end up diving more into like the personal realm of things. Yeah. And then this semester, um, Coach Jordan Jacobs, we've started doing kind of like more one-on-one -on -one meetings. Mm -hmm. So how are your teams going? How are you just doing in general? Like yeah. I started taking – um, a class this semester and I haven't been in school for a few years now. So yeah. jumping back into, uh, classwork and then just life, like, where do I want to be? We had, I don't know, a three hour conversation of where do I see myself like in five years? Mm. Um, that's fantastic. So kind of like establishing that more personal, again, establishing that very base level of my pyramid. Like we're creating an opportunity for clear and honest communication. So yeah. one of the first things that when I walked into, uh, and this is kind of like a core philosophy of mine, mm -hmm. and thanks to, to some stuff I've read from and listened to from Sam Harris. Yeah. Um, so I am like, I'm a very honest person. I find mm -hmm. it very challenging to like lie. Yeah. Um, so having a good relationship with Coach Jordan Jacobs from mm -hmm. my time way back in UMass when he was there and I was interning under him. Like I'm always going to be honest with him about things yeah. and um, you know, he's, he's, he's open to hear that. So we have this clear, honest communication. We have this trust established between us and our staff now, and that allows us to be vulnerable. And now we can start working on that attitude part where we're conflict solving. If I have a disagreement, if we don't agree on things, mm -hmm. um, we can work this out civilly. We're not, yeah. we're not talking bad behind each other's backs. Mm -hmm. We're not just complaining to everyone else. We're trying to work through things. 
Yeah. Um, and so I think that's where we flourished this year. And now me, um, we, you know, we've had some interns come in. I'm more on the undergrad intern side of things, trying to get them ready for their CSCS. So yeah. I'm trying to create opportunities um, similar to our experience at Elon, like sure. give them an opportunity to fail, give them an opportunity to try things. And then I'm going to guide them along the way, but I'm not going to yeah. give them the answer. I want them to think about things. I want them to make connections between um, our coaching and the, the science side of things. But um, and it all relates back again, it's something that I'm trying to do to make people around me better and surround myself with people who just have good attitudes positive attitudes where we're going to uplift each other. And I feel comfortable and confident that I can bring them some of my vulnerabilities and they're going to help me. They're not going to embarrass me mm -hmm. um, and they're not going to put me down for those. So yeah, I guess a general answer, but yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I think what you're saying is so true and so spot on, right? Because I think first it just goes back to caring for people. Like you have to care yeah. for people, right? Like, regardless of profession, like you have to care for people. And what you were, what I heard you say there was like that your head coach like cares for you as an individual. Like he cares yeah, for you. Like, he, Hey, he does. Yeah. And I think that's huge. Like, Hey, where do you want to go? Hey, come sit down and spend three hours talking. Right. And I think that's so important. People that I feel like I have the best relationship with, whether they're mentors of mine, whether they're just friends of mine is like, we can sit down and just have a three hour conversation. And I don't feel judged about what I tell you, whether it's me failing dramatically or whether it's me telling you my dreams and aspirations. And, yeah. you know, and it sounds like that's kind of like the relationship that you have. And so it's like, if you're a, a head strength coach, uh, a boss, uh, a leader, somebody that has people underneath you, I would highly recommend that you take that this approach. And I would highly recommend that you literally sit down with your people each week or once a month and just talk. Like just talk life, just talk everything because it gives you the ability to create that environment that people feel safe and secure in. Right. And yeah, you can and be like, I, I just think about, ahead. um, you know, when we we're at Elon yeah. and Jordan Newsma, he's like, I want to talk to you. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, I just want to talk to you. Let's just yeah. have lunch together. Let's just sit yeah. down have lunch together and talk to me. It doesn't even have to be strength and conditioning related. Let's yeah, just seriously. talk, have a conversation. I want to learn about your family, where you're from, yep. where you'd like to go, just things like that. And that just makes a huge difference. And I, I think I won't go on to a tangent too much here, but when it comes to our athletes, like, yes, I want to be respected. I want to be an authority figure. I want to keep this level of professionalism. But at right. the same time, I do want to be your friends. Like, mm -hmm. I want you to look at me as a mentor and yep. a friend. And I want to be invited to your wedding someday. I want yes. to still be involved in your life. I want you to reach out to me in a couple yes. of years and respond to my Instagram story where we can just chit chat. Or I went down and I saw one of my, uh, one of my Ithaca baseball players. He was playing 20 minutes away from me. So I drove yep. out and, and watched him play a couple yep. of years after I stopped working with him. So yep. Just keeping those relationships is like hugely important to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, and last thing, but I think that's why a lot of people get into this this game, right? So I got into strength and conditioning because I had coach um, coaches, but one uh, in particular that that poured heavily into me. And I mean, 
just absolutely became like a second father figure to me. Um, and to this day now, like over a decade later, we still talk, right? Like yeah. we, I still go over there during the holidays to see his family like a decade later. And when I get married, like he'll be at my wedding. You know what I'm saying? It's just yeah. like, that's the level exactly. of impact. Yeah. It's like, that's the level of impact that we need to be thinking about. It's like, yeah, of course I want you to get better at your sport. Yeah. Of course I want you to get bigger, faster, stronger. Yeah. Of course I want all that stuff. But what I want more importantly is to be a mentor, to be a role model for you for 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, 40 years down the road. Because like, if we can impact one life, you know, and be like, because of you, I did X, Y, and Z. It's like, man, like there's a, such a level of significance in that and purpose in that, that I don't know if you can get elsewhere. Right. Like, and that's yeah. a challenge is just like, it's about people. It's about relationships. It's about, and whether you're a coach, whether you're uh, a business leader, doesn't matter whether you're a husband, whether you're a wife. I mean, this is just life, right? Like we want to have such a massive impact on people that they're like, Hey, I want you in my life for the rest of my life. You know, we may yeah. not talk every day and that's okay, but just know the impact that you had in my life. I think that's extremely important, but cool, man. Well, Hey, um, want to be respectful of your time, but I just want to say thanks for the conversation today. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Hey guys, if you liked this, um, here's what I ask that you do. Uh, this is a value exchange thing. So do me a favor, share the show, like the show, leave a review. And then most importantly, um, join our email newsletter because we'll be sending stuff out uh, on there that you won't see on social media. You won't see, you know, anywhere else. And for the guests that we'll continue to bring on, um, you'll be the first to know about that. So if you would please share the show, I would much appreciate that. Andrew would much appreciate that. Leave a like, leave a review, and then join our emails newsletter. So thank you, Andrew, for coming on today. Really appreciate it, yeah, brother. Absolutely. Um, look forward to doing this again. Thanks, man. Yeah.